talking a while back on the podcast i'd had uh, someone from um, ibm on and and she was telling me how ibm in bombay has always had a remote working culture and i thought their idea was interesting is that you know we all had like specific desk for ourselves and etc right they have a lot of meeting rooms and they have a few floating desks which you can use so this is if you are coming together what we want is to make sure that the whole like you said social right coming together and, and meeting and brainstorming should be there so the entire office is just that you don't need a desk if you want to sit by yourself and work you can just do that from home i think that's really where offices will go that's where I, at least we see it going i'm really excited about this episode of let's talk tech off because i'm going to be speaking with one of the rock stars of the podcasting scene in india his name is varun dugirana the co-founder of the glitch which is one of india's prime digital branding agencies and host of the very popular Advertising is Dead and the Varun Dugi Show podcasts. Varun and I are going to be speaking about the biggest change that has happened in our work and home lives since 2020. Work from home and its transformative effect on the way we lead our lives. COVID is perhaps the biggest design influence that has happened on everyone since World War II. Nothing else from the 20th century and even the 21st has had more impact on the way we live and design our spaces by just restricting the movements of people out of our homes for work for education for play there has been an enormous impact on the way homes will shape up for the next many years varun his wife pooja jahari and daughter leya live in mumbai and i asked him how work from home has changed the way he perceives spaces how he continues to work while maintaining a school routine for his daughter what tricks he uses to consistently be creative even when things are at their slowest and least inspiring there's a lot you can learn from the home stories of others so let's listen in to start off uh, varun the whole premise of writing about design is the notion that all taste aesthetics design sort of like muscle memory is a is a is 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 about learning and practice if you will right um so what i wanted to to discuss with you is and i wanted to go back like way back um and think of your creative life as, as a child um and what do you remember of your space and your home and whether that has sort of impacted any of the design or aesthetic choices that you're making today so i've always liked to have a lot of random things and i and i call them random things because everything has kind of like even if the space which i'm sitting in right now if i think about my office when when i used to go to an office and i think back home to study table etc you always have a set of action figures on the side you'll have a few books lying around you'll have a for no reason there'll be lots of paper and different kinds of pens and pencils i'm a terrible scribbler have dab, my my i think the range of my art is uh, stick figures which somehow is the only thing which i seem to be able to do um the ipad makes it seem better uh, these days but um, but i've always had a lot of like tiny things scattered around i think that's what i've always enjoyed you say child i'm just thinking back right so you'd find lego pieces you would find action figures or something i've always had a thing with notebooks and and pens and pencils of all forms digital or physical rather digital game later it's been that i'm first thought as soon as you said what you said was just have a lot of stuff which 
I think each of them have kind of a story behind them in some sort. I'm also a major pop culture geek and a music. Okay. Um, I listen to all forms of music. So I just have some of that stuff lying around as well. So you'll find like an old, uh, you know, the cover of an old cassette or you'll find um, a ticket to a concert <laughs> I'd gone to. And, like, and those are all like stored all across the house. And that's been like one of those things where I've been asked to declutter many times in life. While I try to do that in, in, in some form or the other, um, you always find something random always. Do you feel that like spaces have sort of an energy or you need some certain things within your space that sort of, you know, that you have a connection to? I think that's kind of evolved over time. I I, I feel that at some point when, you, when, when you're really young, you like having stuff around you, which you can kind of fiddle with and, and, and everything needs to have some sort of fun attached to it. That's something you can kind of do with it. Um, but I feel that at, at a point when I, I think I got a little older, left home, you know, went to boarding school, went to engineering college, did other college, etc. You didn't have as much of those things. Then it, it started to be a lot of really random things that felt cool, but weren't necessarily cool. So you would have, I, I remember, and I cringe many times, is I remember that during my engineering time, I had two other roommates and we were living in an apartment. And, our, and we had this, you know, you... A lot of these rented apartments would have this one showcase, right? Yeah. <laughs> what it was called. I, I can't think of a better word. Yeah, That's the yeah. only thing everyone called it. Everyone called it a showcase. Yeah. yeah. And we just had um, empty liquor bottles for no <laughs> random reason lying in there, right? So, but I think thankfully now, uh, I think once I hit my 30s and, and also once I got married, because Pooja, my wife has, I feel that a lot of her aesthetic in terms of just like having some sort of sensibility to the house and not just random stuff around has kind of rubbed off. Um, so it's now a mixture. Of, of things around. So I, I still like to have things that wherever I'm sitting, is there something I can kind of pull from? Like, is there a book I can pick up and read? Or um, is there something random that I can fiddle with? So you'll you'll find like a globe which has, um, not a traditional globe, but like we have this one weird one where it has almost like different kinds of orbits around it. So you can flip it around, suddenly becomes this huge, this thing. Lots of bobbleheads uh, <laughs> are hidden around this house. So you'll find a, a really nice looking pristine lamp and under it be lying like two Star Wars, uh, like bobbleheads, right? Because... At some point, we couldn't fit them all over the house. So I, one day, me and my daughter just hit them in random places around the house. And once in a while, like they a get discovered. Once in a while they yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that, I feel like it's good to have stuff you can just pull out and, 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 and just kind of have something to do with. So yeah, actually, these showcases, I mean, you know, they, they were those uh, three-quarter showcases and the full-length showcases. I mean, that was a thing at once upon a time. You sliding know? glass thing Yeah, yeah. Like, and flush to, the, flush to the wall and yeah, filled yeah. with, you could have bubble heads in showcases <laughs> where people used to have crystal. And crystal por- porcelain stuff. You know, you had those random dolls, those really creepy looking dolls, <laughs> which I think every grandmother has kind of kept in those showcases at some point of time. And plates. I mean, putting plates in showcases oh, yeah. was a thing, you know, in the dining area you'd just have plates. I never understood that it was a way of showing that you had nice uh, you know nice porcelain that that you oh. you'd probably hopefully take out for whatever <laughs> guest you <laughs> is coming <laughs> if you like them but you've had now you're the sort of classic multi-hyphenate now you've got two podcasts you're a content creator you're an ad man but you started off in engineering and mm. I was wondering how did you make that transition? At what point did you think, my God, I'm in the wrong place, studying the wrong thing in the wrong way? So I, I kind of knew, I, I think I knew day one of engineering, I was in the wrong place. So I used to be a person, and, and I feel that education somehow would start to to put you in boxes, right? So I enjoyed coding. Like I used to be a person who used to code for fun as a kid, but I was terrible at math, terrible at science, decent at English. So you know, there are subjects you're good at, some subjects you weren't, but you either had to be 
science, commerce, or arts. And which somehow some of these lines didn't merge. And thankfully, my parents never pushed me to do anything specific, but they were also like, you know, just do something that's at least stable till you figure out what you want to do, which is why engineering happened. And I got into mechanical engineering, which didn't help because there was hardly any coding and stuff involved there. So I, I kind of knew early on, but I kind of drifted. I feel that I, if I look at the four odd years of engineering plus two odd years of trying to finish it after that, because I hadn't finished my degree. I took six years to finish it. I was still trying to figure out what I would want to do. And I don't think I really knew. So I just kind of drifted through that period of just like, instead of pass your exam, just get, get through it. Also spend a lot of time just like, I mean, you're, you're in early 20s, you, you are in a college which you don't want to spend more than a minute in, in a day. And um, you find other things to do, right? You hang out with friends, you go out, you, you party a lot, you do, you make all the wrong decisions you can make. And I think, and learn as much as you can from that in hindsight now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and eventually I never worked in the engineering space. I worked in a call center. I worked as a promoter for, for Jack Daniels Whiskey. I worked for AOL in the cancellations department. What is what is the cancellations department? So you know when you call cancel your internet connection in the US oh, for AOL, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I would be one of the people who pick up the phone. And my job, we were called the retentions department oh. because our job was to retain the so customer. So you don't let them off the phone till they say no, it's okay, I'm not canceling it. Yeah. So I would I would do calls from two a.m. to nine a.m. India time, six to seven days a week, uh, most times, and uh, yeah, about 25, 30 calls a day. Um, spoke to everybody from like. Artland, redneck America to like East Coast, West Coast, Mex uh, Mexican American, uh, Indian Americans, uh, most interesting one. Actually, the easiest um, retentions were Indian Americans, interestingly. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so, so I did a lot of that. Um, somehow happened to give an exam to study mass communication because my mom always knew that I wanted to do something in the media, um, but I didn't know what. She happened to send me an application. I j for the first time in my life, got through an entrance exam the way I did. And and then I kind of knew, okay, I want to do something in the media space. So worked in MTV for a while, worked in Channel V, and then Glitch kind of happened. But um, Glitch as well kind of happened as a production house. We, we weren't an agency, Rohit, and I don't come from an agency background. So we just became an agency because we saw that as an opportunity. Um, so we're, um, how we call it, we're, we're outsiders as, as ad people because we never, I mean, I never studied, like even now, like if someone talks to me about like you know the slightly more broader pieces, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm more like new age. I kind of get the 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 digital side a little bit more than I would get something more traditional in that sense, right? So so that was my whole thing, and I, but to figure out what all I was interested in has always been a a bit of a tricky slope because I'm interested in too many things. Like even now as a creator, like I'm doing two podcasts, I have ideas for like four more, and I know I can't do all of them together, so. Uh, or trying to figure out how to do it. Sometimes you think, what? Well, okay, maybe I should do one in in Telugu because that's <laughs> yeah. what I, you know, I'm like there isn't as many um, Telugu podcasts of of the kind which I do. So you'll always have ideas. But the problem is you don't have enough time to do it. I think there's only finite time. So um, I always like to dab. So that's been my thing, right? Even in my job as an entrepreneur over the last like 12 years, I feel like I change my scope of work every year because I'm like, okay, I've done this, now what, what else can I do? And I think that's that's pretty much been how I've progressed. I think the constants have been just the dabbling, just like finding things that are, that are interesting to kind of 
figure out. But that but consistency is still difficult, right? I mean, you can have great ideas, but when you have to be creative on demand, you have to put out two episodes a month or an episode a week and any kind of content. I mean, whether you're writing or, or podcasting, I mean, once you start something, how do you consistently deliver? I mean, you've been doing advertising as debt now for what, two years? Uh, more than two, actually. It's going to be three now. I think it's already three. Should be three years now. 2018. And, yeah. and you've got one more, which is now more than a year the old. Show, yeah. And you've got a Substack newsletter. Um, so you've got all, so how do you, how do you do that? Because that's something that anyone feels stressful about. So um, advertising is dead has been interesting, right? Um, I've never been consistent. So consistency has always been a problem with me, right? So when I started it off, um, I didn't set out to be a podcaster. I wasn't even that big a podcast listener. I would listen to a few shows because I liked the people who were hosting them. Um, um, it just kind of happened. Um, I went as a guest on someone's show, got offered a chance to host and just like one thing led to another. Um, I told myself I'll, I'll try to do it at least for three months and see how it goes. But um, I've always liked conversations. Like I like talking to people. It's always been one of those things I enjoy the most, which I consistently do. I've always been that kid um, who uh, who be asked to shut up at some point of time because <laughs> you just not stop talking, right? I'm still that person in my house. Um Thankfully, my, my daughter shares that with me. So now she bears the brunt of it for being the child in the house who talks the most <laughs> and the other child in the house who talks too much. Um, so I feel at some point after 10 episodes, I, I decided I enjoy it a lot. So it became something I, I mapped into my day. Um, and also happened at an interesting time where I was trying to put some structure around how I do things. So I think for the last three, four years, one constant piece for me has been to say, okay, while I might be random with my interests, um, can I build almost a structure around that and, and how it fits into my day or weekend? Um, and advertising instead become that. It's like, okay, let's do like one hour a week you can give to this. You enjoy doing it. Let's do it. So um, I decided to then that three months became a year. And then by the time I hit a year, I knew I really enjoyed it. And I think there's a certain amount of validation in the sense that people seem to enjoy it as well. Um, I also got to meet a lot more interesting people. Uh, and that made it a lot more fun to continue to do, right? But um, all the other shows, all the all the other parts that I've actually done have, I've, I feel in many ways, been an um, extension of the lockdown life, right? Because you're sitting at home, um, you're trying to find things to do, yeah. and you have ideas, and you say, okay, I can just like plug in my laptops right here, I can do it. So most of the t- stuff I do is actually not, it's not that time consuming. For instance, um, I do two short episodes of the Varun Dugi show, and they're like solo episodes. Right? I record them every Sunday evening, I do like two Within an hour, I'm done with both because I spend the week thinking of the ideas of what I could talk about. So I just scribble them around, they're lying here on my desk. Um, and I come to that on a, on a Sunday evening and then just record them and schedule them out and I'm done. Um, Advertising is uh, dead kind of still has a lot more structure and a lot more people around it because there are people helping to schedule, helping produce. Um, so that is more about how much can we bank. So I try to like record at least a month in advance for most episodes so you have enough you know, in the back end, so even if I want to take a week off, it's fine. And the newsletter actually happened um, because I'm writing a book. My book's out next year. So I've realized that the only way for me to be consistent with something is that I like to get feedback constantly. And the internet has been That's a great... That's tricky though, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's really tricky. I take that with a pinch of salt though, um, which I think that uh, which is where the tricky part lies is that... Okay, let, let me put it this way. Um, I'm extremely self-deprecating as a person. So my 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 easiest way of to push towards humor is to make fun of myself. And thankfully, none of my podcasts have gotten too much negative feedback. I've had a few here and there, which, which I think is fine. I've made those into a joke as well um, about myself. So I feel that keeps me a little grounded. But 
I'm like, okay, if people are interested in something, there must be something there. But I also kind of tap into something I kind of build out for myself where I, I every three, six months sit down and say, what do I enjoy about what I'm doing? What do I not enjoy? What more do I want to do? And what else do I want to do? Right. Um, what more do I want to do in this? And what else do I want to do? So I keep kind of tracking that a little bit. It's kind of helped. So I, I which is my, which is why my obsession over mental models um, has kind of been a thing over the last year or so, because I realized some of them really helped me. They they helped me put a loose structure around my unstructured mind in that sense. And uh, what do you what do you mean by mental models? So I'll give an example. I always thought I had ADHD for the longest time because I uh, always found it tough to pay attention. So eventually, I and I would be this person telling everybody I have ADHD, self-diagnosed, right? Like you googled it, you've really figured it out that you have ADHD. Then eventually, one day, someone said that maybe just go like check if it's actually a thing because you don't want to be that person, right? Just giving yourself a a mental illness for no reason. So um, I actually went to a therapist uh, who I've been to many times post that as well. And and she kind of told me that what I have is something called autonomy. So I have an autonomy issue, which is basically you tell me to go from point A to point B, I'm okay to do that. But if you tell me how to go from point A to point B, my mind rebels against it. So I want to find my own way. Um, And that was interesting. So, and I also that made me think about how if I schedule my day in chunks. So my mornings for me are a broad basis of a few things which I do, but they never have to be in the exact sequence. They don't have to be in that sense. My afternoons are a certain way. My evenings are a certain way. My weekends are a certain way. So um, I put these broad blocks and within them I can do whatever I want. Um, and that's really helped me. So um, stuff like that. And so then I, I what I tend to do is I tend to go, go down a rabbit hole, right? You kind of dig a little deeper to understand and... Um, so I look at stuff like the Eisenhower matrix, which is a way for you to decide what to prioritize in life. Um, I looked at, um, you know, just find frameworks of, of things like, uh, I think mental models, the best way to put it is that basically, can you put structure for how your mind thinks and how it works? Um, or rather make you understand your mind a little better and, um, to optimize, some point, uh, yeah. optimize it as best you can. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess, I, I guess I, coming from a family of doctors, I might have, Considered being a um, <laughs> maybe psychology, psychiatry might be a thing at some point if somebody had brought it up. You know, when you're when you're talking about your sort of broad schedule, I'm reminded of this. Um, recently, Haruki Murakami gave an interview, I think in 2014. And recently, some of what he said has become sort of this popular meme. And he had this sort of uh, a routine that he mentions when he writes, which is wake up at 4 a.m., write for five, six hours, go for a 10K run, come back, have lunch, go to sleep, you know, go for another run and then be in bed by nine. And and it seems to me like this ideal, how I would want to write schedule. But I mean, for a lot of people that doesn't work, right? Which is the problem, right? Which is that if it's so rigid, then you can't be flexible around it. Like mine is like, I want to spend one hour every night before I go to sleep, not looking at a screen and just consuming something else. So it'll either be a podcast, it'll either be a physical book, and it's not, and it's generally because I do I sleep a little later than everybody in my house. My everybody in my house sleeps really early, like I'm sleep bed by eight thirty nine, and so I'm like ten thirty eleven ish and I sleep. So I have that about an hour. So I'm not telling myself. Some days I might not have that. One hour becomes fifteen minutes. Some days it becomes an hour and a half. Um, similarly, my mornings, right? I like I like to. Uh, spend some time with our dogs in the morning because they're the only two one, uh, uh, characters who wake up around the time which I do. Um, so we kind of hang out a little bit when we can. So I feel early morning and later at night are the times when we actually might have flexibility to 
have more rigidity in what you want to do. But through the day, you have to keep it flexible. Like, and you have a three-year-old. So I have a four-year-old. Yeah, four. yeah. So how do you work that as well? Because now you've been working from home. Yeah. So how do you fit a toddler into the scheme of things? So my daughter's name is Leah. So, so Leah's in first year of kindergarten. So for her, her schedule is rigid in some form. <laughs> yeah. right? So she has class. She has 8 a.m. to 11.30. They're in smaller chunks. They have gaps in between. So between Pooja and I, we kind of split which classes who's sitting in on because you can't leave a four-year-old in front of an iPad and expect them to pay attention all the time. She, she's a lot better than she was last year. It's her second year in online school. That's, an, that's insane. That's, that's yeah. really... She's never been to a, a school. She's been to a play school, never been to a school in her life, which is crazy. Right? Yeah. And um, so, so, so those parts are rigid. I also have brief periods through the day where between meetings, I try to, as much as I can, have gaps between meetings, at least like two of them during the day. So like you have a half an hour, half an hour somewhere. Uh, so you can hang out with her. Thankfully, we have, you know, um, I, my my mom-in-law lives in, in, in the adjoining block in the building. So she pops over when we start work. So she you knows Leah's with her the whole day and, and we pop in through the day. And mm. I think that's the good part about working from home is that, and because she's doing school from home, is that we have those 20 minutes, half an hour or chunks through the day. And I think that's really been the best part about it is that I have moments with her through the day and moments with her in the morning and in the night. So it's it's a it's, I think it's a lot more fun as a parent at the age where she's at to be able to do this. It's what I call a together but separate sort of yeah. system. So how did you go about last year setting up? Because I imagine that before your podcast would have been uh, recorded in a studio. Yeah. How did you go about setting up a space to work from at home? I had actually bought a mic. I had bought a mic because I was I wanted to try some stuff out, and I always. So I never thought my voice um, was good for something ever because um, I, a, in many ways, my 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 guiltiness comes out um, <laughs> uh, in, when, in in audio. Um, plus also I've had a history of mumbling. So I, I mumble through a lot of stuff which I want to say and what has been asked to be clearer about what I, how I speak. So um, I've taken some time to kind of practice and just listen to how it sounds. So I just bought a mic. I mean, I, everybody had said, okay, you might as well invest in it if you want to do this long term. So I just bought one, thankfully, for three months before lockdown happened. Um, so I had that. Um, we have, a, in a good way, so when, when when we got our house, we decided to have one room uh, become a home office slash study, which is not the one I'm sitting in right now. And and that's where I started. But it was terrible for podcasts because it's got a lot of glass. Mm, yeah. So... Then I literally I, I spent so much time on YouTube just looking at okay how do you make how do you make sound sound decent in your in your house and I was literally this person walking around the house finding different <laughs> rooms I think for the first six eight months I just sat in, in the closet um, just like literally like head popped in there uh, did all the did the extremes of blanket over your head or like sitting with in an enclosed room till I eventually realized you don't have to go that far I think systems also got better software's got better uh, and, and this spot where I sit is actually in our bedroom and. Um, um, I sat facing the wall behind me and uh, where I made a makeshift table from something which Leah had um, because both of us have meetings all day long. So we would, we would switch or we would sit in, on, you know, in, in, on the dining table or somewhere else. And, uh, and at some point I said, okay, I think we need a table. We need another table. So I think what six, I think as soon as uh, e-com opened up, I think last year, June, July is when this table happened. It's a, and it's a slightly tinier one. Um, because we were just want, didn't want anything large in the bedroom, so we got we got this one in. Over time, as podcasts became video, I'm like, okay, let me kind of see 
maybe work on the background. So, and, and I've always liked to, and I had a bag full of stuff from my office, which was just lying in a cupboard. So I said, I want somewhere to keep those things. So eventually the, 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 the rack behind me came up and um, books started going in. Um, you'll find a lot of, you'll find lamps and stuff. But you also find like random bobbleheads popping out of <laughs> areas and, and art and all that stuff. So this has been an evolution, but I feel for me, it was literally like walking around the house trying to find spots, sometimes using a mic, sometimes just using my phone. And now I know at least in my entire house, which spots I can record a podcast in and which spots I can't. And, uh, and that's been fun. That's been, it's been fun trying to figure how this whole thing works. In fact, I mean, one of the things that I learned in this last one year, and you probably know it, and it's this blanket trick, because I was told to record on my phone with a blanket over my head so that it yeah. cuts out all the all the sound. And I had no idea that was a that was a thing. But, you know, the other thing, I mean, we keep talking about it in our sort of writing on design is that creating that that controlled space behind you so that people on the other side can look at something nice and put your art out and have it against uh, the the wall behind mm. you so you can control the space. And also like, because our house has been built off a lot of stuff that we've had over the years and um, and Pinterest. Uh, <laughs> I think a mixture of those two. So Pooja and I kind of put together all the art which she had bought and some which I had. And um, and we, when we were even designing the house together, I know that we wanted spots which could just be aesthetically decent. Uh, and both of us are people who like to keep things in their place, um, no matter in whichever form you know, or shape. And so... So that kind of helped as well. So for me, it was more about finding, because initially, and you're right, um, all I had, because the wall I'm facing right now has a wallpaper on it. Right? So I thought, okay, wallpaper behind will look decent. But when you're sitting and, and, and the wallpaper is a little far away, it just looks like a wall. Yeah. Like, there's nothing there. <laughs> um, and I just got bored of just like staring at, um, and I used to have this frame, which used to be what eye doctors have, you know, those 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 letters. And it's slightly more fun one, which I think I bought off Napa Dori. Um, and... Um, I just like at some point I'm like I'm going to stop staring at this. So that became what was behind me till this uh, shelf came in, and um, and then eventually this kind of came. But I, I but yeah, I agree with you. Like I think most people have understood a lot more about how their backgrounds need to look now than ever before. Yeah, I think but that's what's so smart. I mean, it's that whole psychology, right? The fake backgrounds, for instance, that are there on Zoom. It's interesting because we are all thinking the same thing, in a way. But the other thing that it it brings to mind is, you know, when you think of writing and, and what you're doing with content creation, space and creativity is something that's often very connected. So do you feel like you need a place to think or a need place to sort of come up with ideas? Or do you have you now sort of adapted yourself to all spots? Um, no, I have spots in the house, which I can think at. Um, I, I, I think a lot. Uh, see, I, I think I have the, the traditional, you think when you're in the loo, you think when you take a shower, you think when you're on a, you know, uh, working out or uh, taking a walk, right? That's, I think that's goes for every single human being. I don't think that's, yeah. it, that's like, <laughs> it. You could take that away from anyone. But I think really well when I am by myself. Um, I'm never, uh, so while I'll, I'll bounce off ideas and when I bounce off ideas, I tend to go in multiple directions. I just need like, um, a pen and paper or, or just an iPad with the Apple Pencil going to sit down and and while I'll be opening up multiple things when I think because I don't think linearly so I'll pick stuff up but um, I try to find spots either during the day or or, or in, around the house or wherever I am um, and I think that really helps I, I like to have things around that help me think um, I don't think those are necessarily human beings at most times but what um, are those things though? Um, I'll have books around like Right now, my mic's propped up on like two books, which I keep 
going to because I I think I've spent two years just literally studying uh, way too much um, um, books around um, stoicism. Um, so I have a lot of uh, books on that. Um, I'll have uh, books which I'm rereading, books which I'm reading. I'll have a Kindle around. I'll have for, for some random reason like four notebooks uh, for four different things. So I instead of making sections in a book, I basically put different notebooks for each thing. Um, I will have pencils around. I also store a lot of stuff. So I'll have like note, uh, like my notes apps on, on, on the phone will have like multiple categories and like screenshots and snippets and, uh, and scribbles over there. So yeah, so it's a lot of stuff like gently around. So I, I, I clear it up by the end of the day, but as the day progresses and I literally over time, I got myself a standing desk, which has now become a side desk because <laughs> the standing desk, which is an attachment on this just become this thing, which has like two shelves, which, which has multiple things on it. So um, I like to refer to things when I'm kind of thinking of ideas and working on them. So that's been the thing. So yeah, I get distracted easily, as you can gather. <laughs> but for writing a book, much of writing a book is just the discipline of sitting down and just doing it every day, right? Um, so what has your process been about for that? And I've been reading that you're, you talked about journaling. For a lot of people, that switch between writing on the computer and writing on in a diary, physically writing, is kind yeah. of difficult now. What are those two processes like for you? So I think this whole digital versus physical piece is an interesting one, right, from a note-taking or writing standpoint, because I feel that some things I really enjoy doing on paper. Some things I, like the book's entirely written of a combination of my iPad, my 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 Mac, and my phone, and my phone, um, because I use one app, which is uh, which is a I think it's called, I, I will see, I forget the name. It's called IA, which is I, the IA write-up because oh, as you're typing through, it only shows you the line you are writing right now. Everything else gets blurred. Oh. So it helps you just focus on that one aspect. So you're not looking at what you just wrote or what you, or if, if you're doing edits, you're not seeing everything else. It just gives you focus mode in that sense. So so I've been I'm using that. Um, then eventually move it to, let's say, uh, Google Docs, etc. But uh, my journaling is entirely physical. Uh, I have a notebook. Um, what's really helped me is that I don't journal every day journal a couple of times a week. But whenever I wake up in the morning, um, if I have a thought, I go to it. If I don't have a thought, I don't. Um, and that's really helped. I, I gave myself no rules because I tried those, you know, the apps that give you a, a notification every morning saying it's time to journal. And I'm like, oh no, I don't know what I have to write. Um, <laughs> I didn't put that pressure on myself. And that's really helped. Um, but the book actually, I was uh, in many ways when I started writing the book, a book became like it was just random blogs. Um, but I wanted to put some structure. Then I did what I always do is I try to reference what other writers use as systems. I found one that this author called Ryan Holiday uses. Ryan Holiday writes a lot about stoicism. And literally, I've learned everything about stoicism. That Whatever I've learned has been from what he puts out online in his books, etc. And he has this system. What brought you to stoicism? So he came on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Um, and I listened to him there. And I thought some of the things he said made sense. There's one core value around stoicism and this very and incidentally very early lockdown when I heard it um, it spoke about the fact that you know you in life you focus on what you can control and don't really focus on what you can't control and that helps you like simplify your mind I think that really helped I mean especially if you look at last year March to May we had no control right I think just that thought in some ways kind of like I think sometimes someone says something it really hits you and like, that makes sense um, I mean, like you can focus on your family, you can focus on what you can do for the people who work for your company. But beyond that, there's nothing much you can do. Um, so why are you worrying as much about it as uh, as you are? Um, and so I then bought a couple of his books. I started reading his books and uh, listened to his podcast, which comes daily. And, wow. and, and over time, that became a thing. 
and his youtube channel he also puts out systems and his own process etc so he follows a system which is a note card system i don't think i forget the name of the person who he got it from but it basically says that you um, you take all the stuff you've learned and which you might want to put in the book as instances or insights or learnings and put them into these small note cards like just um and you put them in an order so when you're writing you're referring to them the writing should be the easy part getting the research in place getting um you know where you, where you want to pull a quote from where you want to pull an excerpt from that's what you're going to put together so i went out and lying around here somewhere i have these stacks of papers which are like <laughs> pinned together and and that became process but i obviously i found a way to evolve it to my style of writing so um this is not as much research as is, as it is after i write an entire chapter i'm like putting it down and so okay, this is this is what i covered in it these are the quotes is the excerpt from it so when i'm running from chapter to chapter it helped me give the book structure helped me also look at the fact that i'm not pulling too much of what i've already spoken about in one chapter into another yeah that's very difficult that that's really difficult yeah but it's 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 been one of the most interesting processes for me is just been writing like also because i i can i can write quickly like i can write like a thousand words in an hour but to un- figure out what those words what they're going to be about might take me like a couple of weeks if not a month right so it took me a long time to figure out what all i would talk about but once i kind of got that in place um i also like i used pretty much any tool i could find to put <laughs> content together so there's an app called readwise which i use which basically takes all the highlights from your kindle and populates them into one app and it throws 10 at you every day for you to re- for you to remember the stuff you highlighted which i think is great because we highlight stuff we forget about it right so and that's helped because i would go back to my highlights and like okay, this is something which is interesting in a book i should pull that here and and, and that would be a good reference point and so yeah i used all these tools and hacks and eventually a book came out of it and what is the book about i uh, what i tell people is that i it's it's me being a non asoli version of Mac, mark manson <laughs> <laughs> uh but but it it's just been so uh, i basically when i sat down to write the book and i think my my when i when my book pitch happened as well was that there are things that i've learned over the last like almost 40 years um which i wish i knew when i was 20 when i was 18 and the books about that like stuff which i've learned which have been not broader insights but like smaller insights that have had larger impact on me um spread across what i don't even know how many chapters but um tons of chapters and uh, so you have stories from my life you also have stuff which i've read and come across um you'll have um, random versions of how do i put it trying to find the best way to talk about it without talking about it is that publisher <laughs> uh, will have a no, no. fit uh, because i basically taken stories which you would have heard throughout your life but use them to give examples of how you can learn stuff about your own life from them but in a way that that sound no but that's in a way that's also what you're doing with the varun dugi show right yeah. i mean it's 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 there these insights are out there but you're sort of putting it into perspective that might be relevant for different people and that's actually an interesting point right uh, the varun dugi show and the newsletter are filled with things that many of them which have ended up in the book so i've kind of tracked which ones really like uh, you know which people really like like and like because everything i put out i really like so i'm like okay which of these did people really resonate with what really worked with them um and i'm like i pick those is what was it about this that worked so and i'll have a few people who uh, are listeners who kind of write in often enough so i'll ask them what did you like about this and they say 
this part about the, that concept or this learning. I'm okay, that's that's so I, I would I'd put that down. Okay, this could be something that we part of a chapter okay. somewhere. So you'll find a lot of those, like <laughs> like breadcrumbs that are all across the book. Um so you've clearly, I mean, you've embedded yourself in this work from home space now. Yeah. Um, but which I keep wondering how sort of office culture is going to change after this. And for you, can you can you see yourself sort of going back to the studio? Can you see yourself going back to an office space the way you perhaps did before? I I don't think I'll go back in the same way in either case, right? Um, I enjoy recording remotely. Um, I feel that there are a few things. There there are um, some amazing things about recording in person, which is that it suddenly feels like you're talking to a person, um, and and, and at some point you blur out the other people in the room. But I feel the access that digital recording has allowed is that you know. Like we're talking, we're in, we're in we're two different places. Right? We're able to talk right now. I mean, just like, and it's not like we had to travel anywhere to do it or anything like that. I think just the access of people you can talk to has just been amazing for me. But so maybe occasionally uh, I would like to do an in-person recording, but I don't think I'd always want to do one. Um, I know a lot of people who are doing podcasts who say the same thing. Some of them actually have said, okay, if I do it often enough, could I even figure a way to build, um, what? convert one room into a home studio in, in whichever shape or form, right? It could just be a room that is something else, but it can also be this. Or someone who said, okay, I want to just build a studio. So it is my environment looks aesthetic <laughs> and the guests could be from anywhere else. Um, but I think work is a lot more complicated um, because um, some of us have the privilege of having a space we can kind of work out of and be comfortable. Many people I know are don't have that much space at home, do want to go to an office. You know, they've been, it's been tough for many people, right? So, I feel it's a mixture of things. So what we were actually trying to do is give people an option. And I feel that option should extend to anyone who wants to say, okay, I want to work a couple of days a week. I want to work no days a week from the office or like all days of the week from the office. You look at, does someone have to actually be in the office? Um, do we need to give them other options? I think it's it's very open-ended right now, but I don't think I am specifically looking to go back unless it's for a meeting where you just want to meet a bunch of people and have a chat and not necessarily just do it off a video call. I think will occasionally meet, but I'm I'm very happy with remote as a concept. <laughs> but you know, I always think that work culture or office culture has its own sort of, um, you know, it's such a social thing, right? Because you actually spend eight hours of your day normally in an office space. You make friendships, uh, romances, uh, you know, lunches, interactions. The loss of all of that in a way is, is in, it's, it's slightly tragic, I think, especially yeah. for young people who are starting yeah, out. for sure. You know, I, I was talking to, um, I think a while back on the podcast, I'd had uh, someone from um, IBM on and, and she was telling me how IBM in Bombay has always had a remote working culture. And I thought their idea was interesting. Is that, you know, we all had like specific desks for ourselves and et cetera, right? They have a lot of meeting rooms and they have a few floating desks which you can use. So this is, if you are coming together, what we want is to make sure that the whole like you said, social, right? coming together and, and meeting and brainstorming should be there. So the entire office is just that. You don't need a desk. If you want to sit by yourself and work, you can just do that from home. I think that's really where offices will go. That's where I, at least we see it going, right? So we used to have our own office for the longest time, which we gave up. Um, and anyway, over time, we were moving to a larger campus, right? Because we got acquired in 2017. Um, all the agencies in the in the WPP network were moving to a singular building, and which is now we're just like reopening now, like limited capacity and all that stuff. So it's still going to be, let's let's meet. Let's you know, maybe meet once a month. Let's meet once a, once every 15 days, once every couple of days. Um, because I think that's what people miss. People don't miss having to go to office every day. Yeah. <laughs> I think people just miss meeting each other yeah. and hanging out. Miss other people. Um, and I think yeah. that's come back. Yeah. 
other people that you're not related to <laughs> it's just yeah exactly yeah, yeah but also i mean that whole thing of you know going out for a lunch or and hanging out and getting to know your coworkers beyond just this this sort of digital space um is there anything in this last one year of of working from home an app or a tool something that you've started using that you never thought that you would before or didn't before apart from every single I think I use calendars way more than I ever did in life. <laughs> I think like every single email calendar app, I'm still trying to find. Someone asked me to use something called Calendly. And I'm like, okay, I'm just like, I'm done. I'm like, I have too many of these things right now. But I'm just thinking about something which has really helped. I've actually, in a weird way, I was never a person who would send voice notes. But I feel in some way, and it's, I don't think it's a podcaster in me sending voice <laughs> notes. I feel it's... Uh, because we were doing so much on, on messages and emails, um... Sometimes tonality gets missed when you type out a message or an email. Um, and in many ways, I think just using that has really helped um, keep some of those connections together. But you would obviously do a video call whenever you have to. I just feel that more than an app, I think just that form of communicating has been great. Because I think in many cases, uh, you know, it's like a four minute long, yeah. four <laughs> long voice note. Uh, people have really appreciated that fact that, you know, you, you're sending something which you, you are saying rather than, than otherwise. Um, Apart from that, I actually can't think. I'm actually going to do this while we're talking. I'm going to open my phone because I know what apps I use the most. Um, and I'm just going to see if there is anything which I'm missing out on. No, actually, I've actually been an extremely you know, social media focused person in just like, uh, I, I'm an overt screen user um, as gather. So um, but you have I'm an actually excuse. trying to reduce that. But you have an excuse, so... Yeah, I do. But uh, I, I'm actually trying to go more physical uh, in that sense. I'm going more paper, more pen, a lot more uh, notebooks, a lot more physical books. So actually, more than an app, I never thought I'd... I was always a person say, I don't want to have books around. Why would you carry physical books around if you could use a Kindle? <laughs> but yeah. I'm actually flipping backwards on that front. Was it weird, though, for you um, to to sort of let people into your personal space a bit more over the last one year because podcasting is still done from a private space. But now, by virtue of, of working from home, we're all sort of revealing our personal spaces a bit more. Was that odd for you? So I don't think... At, at, in What actually was interesting was that um, suddenly at some point, I decided to share a lot more on social media than I ever did. Um, so it started off me with me putting up random fitness videos because I'm <laughs> this person obsessed with working out like six, seven days a week. And so I think that's been an interesting thing for me because I, that's what I always worried about is like if you open up too much about your life, um, what is too much? What is fine? Um, and you know, it, it's the same thing, right? Sometimes you'll shoot something really fun with your daughter. You want to put it out, but you wonder, do you really need to put it out? I think that's been the larger question most times. But, uh, and I think at some point, you figure a balance. I think you go a little further than you should at some point and you pull back a little bit. I think I I found that balance, especially over the last year because there was a point when I was sharing so much online and I still do, but now I have a system to it. I know what I would share, what I wouldn't share. I don't overshare stuff with my daughter. I don't overshare stuff from what family as much as I would at some point. But I, I do share a lot of stuff around things which I am personally doing, right? Like And what I'm learning, what I'm listening to, watching and all that stuff. So I think that balance came in by oversharing. But uh, I don't think I was, I, I've never been really hesitant about sharing stuff which I in personally do. That's been something which I've slowly been, pu I've pushed myself towards over the years because I used to be um, supremely shielded on that front for many years. Um, I think over the, uh, over the last like decade, it's been a slow process of opening up. And the podcast has made it easier, just like 
I think I naturally share a lot more than I ever did. So you actually sort of, I mean, you figured out a why, um, right? As long as there's a why attached to what what you're putting out there, it, it sort of makes sense. Um, so besides stoicism, what are you reading? Is there anything that, any recommendations that you'd like to share? What am I reading? What am I reading? I'm, I'm actually reading a book called Humor Seriously. Okay, it's a fabulous book. It a, um, It's a book which is... Um, um, I'm forgetting the author's names, um, but both of them actually teach a course on how humor can help you in your work life um, in, in one of the universities in the States. The book's all about how we all innately have humor in us, but we we always think about humor as us being funny and think humor and being funny are two different things. Humor is something which is within you. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very funny book. Like you keep laughing through it because they just written it in a really fun way. But it makes you think about a lot of stuff around like, you know, what your humor style could be and, you know, how you could kind of use it at work in life. Um, and and it, it's a great book. Like I I've, I've found it really interesting. Um, another one I read recently was, um, I really like Green Lights, which is uh, Matthew McConaughey's book. I was surprised I liked it as much as I did. Um, I never thought of him as a, as a deep thinking, um, weirdly intellectual person. And weirdly is the is the in term a very simple there. way, right? Like I mean, yeah, it's just it's, like oh yeah, that makes sense. And it sometimes it goes really off. Like <laughs> some of the things in the book are like very like okay, what's wrong? Um, but actually, the most fun book in recent times was is uh, Seth Rogen's book. Seth Rogen wrote a book, which is exactly like what you would imagine a book by Seth Rogen would be like. Um, and he has, you know, each, each chapter is about something really random from his life, but it's so funny because he's talked about his childhood he's talked about that entire thing that happened with the interview and sony and um meeting george lucas for the first time and but he's just like he has not stopped himself from saying what happened in every single case (laughs) in his own way and it's so funny like i think i found some of these books and just like laughed through it and uh, i mean apart from the usual suspects like your um like psychology of money which i'm reading again um, I have basically I have books lying around. I read about three, four books at the time, so I'll have like a few lying around. And ah, so you so you go through different ones at the same time. Uh, different times in the day. So um, I'll do a slightly more uh, serious one before I go to bed because I don't want to like keep laughing before that. Mornings <laughs> are generally slightly more. Uh, mornings and afternoons are slightly more fun in that sense. So I don't watch as much streaming content as I used to. I just kind of flip. I that I had to give up on something. Uh, what I gave up on was watching too much content. Um, there's still some shows I watch, but not as much as I used. Okay. Thank you so much. Three years ago, when I first pitched the idea of this podcast to a producer in Bombay, she wasn't sure that it could be done because I don't live in Bombay and I live in a place without access to a professional recording studio. But in these last two years, we've all learned that when it comes to getting our work done, where we do it no longer matters. Varun Dugirala is a great example of that ability to adapt. Like he said, finding spots where he could think best, having things around that help him think and making a schedule, however flexible, to get through the daily to-do list. I hope this conversation helps you with your work life and your work from home life. Happy decorating. You've just listened to the Let's Talk Decor podcast with your host, Manjusara Rajan. Follow our podcast on Apple, Spotify and other major podcasting platforms. 
Let's Talk Decor is an initiative from beautifulhomes.com, which is India's largest decor and design platform, and it is a part of Asian Paints. Beautiful Home Services brings customized interior design to everyone, allowing clients to create their dream homes with expert designers with the end-to-end project management guarantee that's part of Asian Paints. If you'd like to know more about BHS and everything else under the decor category of Asian Paints, then do log on to beautifulhomes.com. This episode of Let's Talk Decor is produced by Nikhil Dintakurti and sound design partner, Smart Voice Studio.